Good day. I'm excited to be preaching the second sermon in our series on prayer. I want to start today by sharing two rather unusual stories from the Old Testament. And then from those two unusual stories, draw some conclusions. So our first story is found in 2 Kings and chapter 13. Uh, Elisha the prophet seems to be suffering from some kind of terminal illness. And uh, Jehoash, the king of Israel, goes to, to visit him. And this is what transpires. There's obviously some political trouble going on. There seems to be, uh, the nation seems to be on the brink of war. And this is how that visit turns out. I'm reading from 2 Kings chapter 13. Now Elisha was suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried. The chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows, and the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Elisha died and was buried. What a strange story this is, and we'll come back to it once we've read our next story. This next story is, is much more well-known. It's again a, a story that involves a battle. This time Moses is up on the hill, and he has his hands raised to heaven, and as he prays, the Israelite army is winning. So let's read together from Exodus chapter 17. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. 
Verse 15, Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. So what do these two interesting stories have to teach us about prayer? I believe that they clearly show that there can be a direct relationship between what we do before the Lord in prayer and what eventually transpires. Let's take a closer look at the first story again, the one found in 2 Kings chapter 13. Here Elisha is together with the king performing a prophetic action. He's enacting something physical which has spiritual significance. The prophet Elijah together with the king physically shoot an arrow. And when they shoot the arrow, they make a proclamation. And it's more than just an illustration or an object lesson. They, this is a prophetic action. It's kind of like a prayer before the Lord. Verse 16 is what's important. Elisha says, take the bow in your hands. And when he'd taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands and together they shoot the arrow. And as the arrow goes flying into the distance, Elisha says, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram. And so the shooting of this arrow is a, is a sign. It has spiritual significance. As I said, it is a prophetic action. And Elisha and the king perform that prophetic action together. But now it's the king's turn to do something on his own. And so Elisha says, now take the arrows and strike them on the ground. Verse 18 says, he struck the arrows three times and then stopped. And there's a very interesting response from Elisha at this point. He gets angry and he says, but you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. But now you're only going to defeat it three times over. What's going on here? Well, when the king performs the second prophetic action, striking the arrows on the ground, he does it in a very half-hearted uh, half way. Just three strikes. Perhaps they were light strikes. Why was there a need to strike the ground more and to strike the ground harder? Because in this prophetic action, the striking of the ground was a way for the king to demonstrate his depth of feeling, his sincerity and his desire for victory. And all he can muster is a few half-hearted taps. There was little desire, little conviction. 
And we see the grace of God here in that the prophet still assures him of victory and says, you know what, you're still going to win this battle, but it's not going to be the kind of victory you could have had if you'd struck the ground five or, or even six times. I think we can learn a great deal about prayer from these two stories. How often do we not pray with conviction and enthusiasm? Too often, perhaps, we're, we're like this king who offers something weak and, and half-hearted to God. Prayers that show little desire, little conviction. Prayers that aren't coming from a, a place of desperation. Yes, we still experience answers to prayer, but often not to the extent to which we could if we prayed with greater enthusiasm, greater conviction, more sincerity. By the way, I'm not at all saying we need to be emotional when we pray. That's not what's going on here. I don't think the, the prophet is saying, well, you should have been more emotional when you prayed. I think he's rather saying, no, you, you should have expressed more desire, more intent, more conviction when you struck the ground with those arrows. Prayer is not about ticking a box. Elisha said, strike the ground, and so that's what the king did. But he didn't do it with enough enthusiasm, enough confidence in God. He didn't do it with enough faith and conviction. And that's the lesson here, I believe. I think when we pray, God is looking for us to put some heart in what we're doing. I think of how often God is moved because of people's faith. I think of that classic story of the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus begging for help. And, and Jesus sends her away and says, no, I, I haven't come to help people like you. But she presses in with her plea and eventually Jesus says, wow, I've never seen faith like this before. I've never seen tenacity like this before in prayer. Your request is granted. In the story about striking arrows on the ground, the striking of the arrows was an outward sign of an inner conviction. Or in this case, a lack of conviction. And that's why the prophet is angry and tells the king, for this reason, you're only going to receive some of what you're asking for before the Lord. Let's move now to our second story. It's the story of Moses up on the hill. His hands are raised in prayer to God as he intercedes for those in battle below. And the key verse of Exodus 17 is verse 11. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. 
But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Again, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? Why doesn't God simply let his team win? Why the need for Moses to be up on the mountain with his hands raised in prayer? And why this direct relationship between when his hands are up and he's praying, well, the Israelites are winning. But when he takes a break and drops his hands, well, then the Israelites begin to fail. And we know that what Moses was doing up on the mountain was praying. It wasn't some kind of uh, military signal to the troops. Verse 16 says, For hands were lifted up to the throne of the Lord. So why couldn't Moses just sit quietly in the shade of a tree and think his prayers in his head? Why didn't he do that? Why wasn't that good enough? There was a need for him to have his hands raised before God. He needed to be praying in a very specific manner. I don't want to become legalistic in how I interpret this passage. But clearly, he needed to be praying in a way that, that cost him. He needed to be praying in a way that required and that took effort. So much so that it left him exhausted and his friends have to bring a stone for him to sit on and, and then hold up his hands so that he can continue to have hands raised before the throne of God. And again, we can think this is very odd. Why, why did God require this? Why couldn't he just think his prayers in his head as we so often do when we pray? So what can we learn from these two stories? In the first story involving the prophet, the king striking arrows on the ground, the prophet is angry because too little effort and conviction is invested in the prophetic action. It reveals what's going on in the king's heart. In the second story, again, it is, it is necessary for Moses to put effort into his prayer. A simple outward action, yes, of hands raised to heaven. But for some reason, it meant something to God. For some reason, God answered and honored his prayers when they were offered with raised hands. Does God care about the position of our hands when we're praying? What about people that don't have hands or have some reason why they can't raise their hands? Are their prayers somehow inferior to others? Once again, it's not about raised arms per se. It's more about what those actions signify and reveal about our hearts. True prayer, authentic prayer, takes effort. It requires enthusiasm and exertion. True prayer is emotionally draining. 
And I would suggest that if you're not emotionally drained after a time of prayer or intercession, perhaps you're not doing it right. I'm reminded of Paul's comment in Galatians 4, where he writes about, I believe, his prayer life, where he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I think this verse describes Paul's prayer for those that he was discipling. And he compares his prayer before God to that of a woman in labor. He says, I'm again in the pains of childbirth. I'm praying for you earnestly because I want to see Christ formed in you. Let's move now to the New Testament. And there's an amazing description of Jesus' prayer life found in Hebrews 5 and verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. I want to unpack a few things from this verse. Firstly, this verse is describing Jesus' prayer life over all of his life. This is not just a reference to the Garden of Gethsemane. It says during the days of Jesus' life on earth. So it is a, a broad description and then it talks about how Jesus offered up prayers and petitions. There are many different forms of prayer, many different kinds of prayer, and we need to learn the different forms of prayer. I once preached a sermon called Prayer Without Words, and if my memory serves me correctly, there are about 10 ways in which we can communicate to God in prayer that don't involve speech. And we're going to have to learn different forms of prayer if we're going to obey Paul's command in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17, where we're told to pray continually. We also notice thirdly from this verse, Hebrews 5, 7, that Jesus' prayer life was characterized by loud cries and tears. Let's just let that sink in a little bit. Is this the picture that you have of how Jesus had his quiet time? It probably shouldn't ever be called a quiet time because Jesus communicated with God with loud cries and shouts and also tears. Why the need for loud cries, shouts, and tears? Did Jesus not believe that God was listening to him? Was that the, the reason for the volume? Did he not know that he of all people could just pray quietly in Jesus' name? Even the perfect Son of God communicated with God in prayer that many of us would 
would find a little strange. But here it is, Jesus expressing passion and conviction and at times emotion in his prayers to God. There was an earnestness in his prayer life that I think is often missing from ours. And the fourth thing I see in this verse is how we're told that he, Jesus, was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus' prayers were heard, the Bible tells us, because of his demeanor in prayer, because of his reverent submission. And let's put this into context. Jesus was sinless. He was divine. He was morally perfect. Yet he was heard by his father because of his reverent submission. In some circles, it's fashionable today to, to be casual and cool in how we address God. I think the angels must shudder sometimes when they when they hear the way in which people address God. Jesus was heard because of his reverent submission. Here's that verse from Hebrews 12 that reiterates the need for us as believers to approach God with reverent submission. Hebrews 12 verse 28, and we know it's addressed to Christians because it's people who are receiving a kingdom. The person writes, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. I want to encourage you to always approach God with reverent submission. That's how Jesus prayed. How much more should we pray in that way? In conclusion then, what can we learn from these two stories from the Old Testament and from the verses we've looked at thus far? Well, the story of the king striking his arrows on the ground reveals to us how important it is that we don't just go through the motions when we follow God's instructions to pray. We need to put our heart into it. We need to be sincere. We need to express intent when we bring our prayers before God. The kind of prayer that pleases God is prayer that comes with deep conviction and with great sincerity. And this is why praying can be emotionally exhausting. Daniel discovered that after his encounter with God that lasted a long time. When it had finished, he needed to go to bed to rest. After Elijah had been praying, Angels came and ministered to him. The same thing happened to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. 
Prayer is not an easy or a casual activity. It is intense and it can leave you exhausted. And the kind of prayer that pleases God is is prayer that is offered in reverent submission. What does it mean to pray from a place of submission? Prayer is not telling God what, what to do. It's about subordinating our will to His. Here I am, Lord, ready to do your will. There's a variant of Christianity out there that encourages people to name and claim what they want in prayer. There are those who teach us how to use the power of prayer. I want us to just think carefully about that phrase. What is that phrase saying? I believe in the power of prayer. That's more of a a new age understanding than a Christian understanding. Prayer in and of itself has no inherent power. There's no metaphysical law that says if we pray in this way, then the universe will deliver what we're asking. No, prayer is about communicating with God. I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. I want to close with just one more verse. It's Jesus talking about prayer. John 15 and verse 7 says this. Jesus talking to his disciples. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Wow, this is an amazing verse with so much to to teach us about prayer. There are two important requirements for prayer to please God. The first is that we remain in Him, that we're abiding in Him, that we're surrendered to God. Jesus says, if you abide in me, if you remain in me, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. And the second prerequisite is, and if my words remain in you, if God's word is filling our hearts and our minds, and we're surrendered to Christ, it's from that position, humble submission, reverent submission, submitted and word directed, then Jesus says we can ask whatever we wish, And it will be granted to us. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can speak to you at any time. Thank you that there are so many different ways in which we can pray. In which we can reach out to you. And we pray, Father God, that you would teach us how to pray. We pray that you would teach us how to pray continually. Help us, Lord, to abide in you, for your word to abide in us, so that our prayers will be pleasing to you. 
And help us to learn the lesson of the arrows and the lesson of Moses on the hill. Help us, Lord, to pray with conviction and sincerity. And help us to press in and to continue in prayer even when we become weary. Help us to be like Paul who labored in prayer for others. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of approaching your throne in the name of Jesus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you that in Christ you hear us and accept us. We love and worship you with all of our hearts. And all God's people said, Amen.